This conversation includes reference to sexual assault, kidnapping, drug addiction, self-harm, and abuse. Please listen with your discretion. I just want to inspire people to pursue their dreams and not let a superficial characteristic get in the way of seeing their potential as a human being. Like a lot of people experience a loss of identity after losing their hair. And I just want to remind my hair loss sisters and brothers and everyone else of who they are. Like just the beautiful, complex, multifaceted human being behind the hair or lack of hair. Welcome to season three of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we're going to talk with some fierce, unapologetically ambitious women about what it means to be an inclusive leader. Are you ready? Episode five, Renee Reyes talks inclusive beauty standards. Welcome, welcome, everyone. So this podcast starts on a somber note because Today, we have to start by talking about Afghanistan, and our hearts are literally broken for the women and girls in Afghanistan. It's truly devastating news. Um, And I know that one quote from Malala Yousafzai really stuck out to me. She said, we will have time to debate what went wrong in the war in Afghanistan, but in this critical moment, we must listen to the voices of Afghan women and girls. They're asking for protection, for education, for the freedom and the future they were promised. We cannot continue to fail them. We have no time to spare. And I think Malala said it so perfectly. There is a call to action for everyone listening today. Um, you can actually go on to our Live Girl social media at Go Live Girl. We've listed a number of different resources, organizations, and ways to help. Olivia actually did a fantastic interview with Uh, Shakaba Wakili Bennett, who is from Afghanistan and a documentary photographer, and she had some really important um, suggestions on ways to help as well. Mm -hmm. Including suggestions for all the young people out there, you know, like myself, who are are going to college or in college, you know, ask your universities, scholarships for Afghan women, um, and all these different ideas. So definitely check out those resources. Yeah, and I think what's breaking my heart, and and Shakaba said it so well, is that Um, you know, in history, the Taliban erased women from society. And, you know, the news headlines right now are that there are no women on the streets. Mm -hmm. They're they're in hiding and our hearts go out to them. And we're going to keep talking about it, Olivia. We're going to keep amplifying the voices of women and girls in Afghanistan. And we urge all of our listeners um, to get involved and to help as well. For sure. Yeah. So now we can turn it to a more exciting positive yes. note because I'm so excited about our podcast Me too. guest today. She actually is coming back to us. She rocked Camp mm-hmm. Live Girl um, and she's here today. You want to do the honors, Liv? Of course. Renee Reyes is the founder and CEO of the Aloe Peace Project, a spokesmodel and a part-time horticulturist. She's also the reigning Miss Stanford USA and proves that you don't need hair to be beautiful. This beauty pageant winner is using her platform as a way to spread awareness about alopecia and to change today's beauty standards for the better. Welcome to Confident, Renee. Hi. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much for having me. I had such an amazing time at Camp Live Girl, and I'm just totally stoked to be on this podcast with you guys. And we're so excited to have you. So just to get started, can you tell us something that Google doesn't know about you? Okay. Yeah. So... (laughs) Apparently, my friends think that I'm sort of some sort of genius speed reader. Um, this is based on them seeing me read the book Dune by Frank Herbert, which is my favorite book. 
um, in a night while simultaneously writing a book report on it. And <laughs> I've seen you do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I never really thought that much about it because I've taken entire months to read much shorter texts, like high fidelity. And I just figured that people read things they really enjoy faster and things that they don't enjoy, um, you know, slower. And that sounds pretty plausible to me, but there was an incident I vaguely comprehended in second grade where my teacher at the time noticed, I guess, or caught me reading something or a series of things really fast. And he totally freaked out on me, like in a good way, I think. And he called my parents for a meeting about it. And he made me demonstrate it to them during the meeting a bunch of times while just like whispering excitedly back and forth about me. And I didn't really know what he was making such a big deal about at the time. And Speed reading hasn't really come up since then until very recently when my friend was trying to convince me it was weird. So I ended up taking a test and it turns out I hover between 1080 and 100 or 1,122 words per minute. So (laughs) average compare that to what's considered average, Renee? Average is so the average college student, which is like is around my age, probably reads around like 400 words per minute. Oh my, oh my god! god. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's also. By the way, with, back like, to your friend. Back to your friend. <laughs> like, if anything that people say is weird, that actually is your superpower. So. <laughs> oh like, yeah, I mean, they they meant it was weird in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, and you yeah. probably you probably listen to your podcast on like two times speed as well, correct? <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, I actually have not really listened to any of my podcasts, like, again, because it's like really nerve wracking. And I just got to work up, um, (laughs) I guess, the courage to listen to them, because it's just kind of weird hearing my own voice. Well, that is Um, is a fun fact about you. And one that uh, maybe after today, Google will know about you, (laughs) because I think someone's going to pick up that headline. That's incredible. So Renee, let's let's jump into your journey. It certainly hasn't been an easy one. You shared with us at Camp Live Girl, you've been through some tragic times. You've been sexually assaulted twice. And the stress of that actually triggered the autoimmune disease alopecia. Can you tell us more about kind of your, your journey, your story, and tell us more about alopecia? Yeah, so I guess just to get the bigger, more um, heart attack inducing reveal out of the way, I was kidnapped after my freshman year of college. Um, You could also use the terms held captive or falsely imprisoned too. And the thing about kidnapping is it doesn't happen the way people typically think it does. A stranger doesn't just leap out from the dark and snatch you off the sidewalk and pull you into a van. Um, I mean, sure, this happens sometimes, but it is extremely uncommon. Um, I remember reading a Reuters article from a few years back that between like 2010 and 2017, only like 350 kidnappings were committed by strangers. And these statistics also mirror those of sexual assault. Um, 90% of sexual assaults reported by college women were perpetrated by someone known to them. And according to Rain, at least I think a third of those are committed by romantic partners. So these incidents are not just random acts of violence. And because the perpetrator is usually close to the victim, it is often very slow and insidious. And they may not even realize it's happening until it already is. Um, It can be a long process of manipulation, which was definitely the case for me. Um, Before I knew it, I just, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere or even eat without the person's permission or supervision. 
all forms of ID had been confiscated from me, including my passport, my learner's permit, and my social security card. And it's pretty impossible to escape or go anywhere alone, especially when you're an in between an unfamiliar or in between unfamiliar and foreign countries without at least your passport. So I also couldn't contact family and friends back home or use the internet or Google Maps or really any other digital resource that would have helped me in that situation because this person took my phone and broke it. Um, I was always injured in some way. And of course, people would ask questions. His excuse to people was usually that it was like a motorcycle accident or something along those lines because um, motorbikes and that kind of thing were really popular where this was occurring. And he was in control of my debit card, all of my cash. And when all of these things that I've mentioned are taken from you, you lose your agency. So since coming out with my story, people have kind of been like, yeah, I can concede that those things can strip a person of their agency, but why did you let them happen in the first place? Why would you just let another person hold onto your belongings? And it's just kind of crazy to me that people can look at this and in their heads just picture me going like, oh, you want to hold on to my passport and wallet indefinitely? Here you go. Um, you know, like I said, there's a lot of manipulation and emotional abuse that goes into it. This person knew me and knew how my mind worked and how to coerce me. Um, the way losing my phone happened, he asked if he could borrow mine to take photos because his was on low battery and it had a cracked screen. And, you know, that's that's a pretty reasonable request for normal people to make. So, like, no rational person would look at that request and suspect the other person had intentions of breaking your device. Um, I was even a little resistant to that because they had been acting a little bit weird at that point, but they just seemed really sad about the state of their own phone. So I just empathized and lent them mine and they ended up breaking it. Um, but beyond emotional manipulation, there's also just like physical violence and drugs and the threat of physical violence was used as well. Um, they pretty much gave me a Valium addiction against my will. Um, I never took it again after the whole ordeal was over, but I still really only stopped feeling cravings for it like last year. Um, but he forced me to take Valium when I was being particularly resistant, like trying to run away or hide. And I don't know if it was more or less than the prescribed dose, but it did do a pretty good job of just turning me into a zombie. And I still have scars on my body not just from him, but also from self-harming to try to wake up from that drug-induced haze, which um, made him really, really angry at first and resulted in him trying to, I guess, like dispose of me by killing me because I was just becoming too much to deal with. And the night he tried to kill me, there were two drunk guys who went out for, for a smoke, I guess, and they just interrupted it. And since they were drunk, I don't think they totally realized what was going on, but their presence that night is pretty much why I'm alive right now. And the person who was hurting me, um, for them, attempted murder didn't sit too well on their consciousness because, I mean, most people can't really do that without feeling bad. And, you know, they're also around my age and they had a breakdown in front of me and never went that far again. Um, they just resorted to telling me how ugly I was and that I ruined my body from the self-harm. And they just eventually left me alone because they said that I was disgusting. Um, I was too much work to just keep dragging around and they just simply didn't want me anymore. Um, unfortunately, they did move on to hurt others 
including to um, including attempting to reenact the story of my first sexual assault in high school with someone they felt reminded them of me. Um, because through hearing my story, they said that they had developed a fetish for that. And that's something that still weighs on my mind, something that I still feel <sighs> a lot of guilt for. Um, I tried helping anonymously during the investigation for the other girl, but all that came of it was them getting suspended from one good school and getting accepted into another good school. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate, but I've come a really long way in healing from it. Um, I pretty much decided that I'm not going to name them. I'm not going to go after them because I've just, I worked so hard to heal. Um, I've gotten to a really good place in my life where I'm helping others. You know, I am sharing my story. And I just decided that, you know, going after this person specifically isn't my fight anymore, but I do want to do my part to support people who might have been victims of the same thing. And Renee, you, we're so sorry that this yeah. happened to you, but you're obviously so mm -hmm. strong and powerful and helping so many by speaking up and sharing your story and letting others know that they're not alone. And actually in the notes for this podcast, we will be posting um, hotlines and resources um, for anyone who may for me, may need that help. And then can you take us through how then the stress of this personal situation triggered alopecia and tell us more about what alopecia is? Yeah, so alopecia is an autoimmune disorder. So it is genetic. So, you know, it's not like anyone who has something traumatic that happens to them can develop it. You need to have it, you know, in your genetic code first. But it also is very common, and I don't know the exact statistics for it, but um, it, it's just extremely common. It's like one of the most common diseases that a person can have. I feel like most people definitely have it in their genes to develop alopecia. And so while it's genetic, um, like any disease, I mean, even cancer, um, there are environmental stressors that can trigger your genes. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Oh, what's it called? Oh, no, never mind. There's like um some like in biology, there's like this genetic phenomenon. I forgot what it's called, but like how your environmental stressors can have an influence on your DNA and your genes. So, you know, it's not always like things in your environment solely causing things. And it's not always things in your genetic code always causing things. Sometimes it is a combination of both. And that was definitely the case for alopecia for me and for many other people. And I guess just the stress of this traumatic event definitely triggered that gene in me. I know that my mom had alopecia when she was younger and even from time to time now still gets patches here and there. So I definitely got the gene from her, but hers is just not as severe as mine. Um, but yeah, just going through something really stressful triggered the gene. And even though I'm doing pretty well now, I'm not very stressed. You know, I'm at a beach right now. I'm feeling pretty good. But, you know, now that I have this autoimmune condition, I have the autoimmune condition. And it's, it's for the most part superficial. Um, I do have other like autoimmune, not necessarily disorders, but conditions that um, I've developed ever since losing my hair. Like, I've developed a condition called Raynaud's phenomenon, which is kind of like being allergic to the cold. <laughs> like cold temperatures make me feel pain in like my fingers, my legs, my, my feet um, a lot of the time. And I get hives in the cold as well. Um, sweat can also cause it, exercise can cause, well, not Raynaud's, but just um, hives and that kind of thing. 
So yeah, I mean, it's genetic. It's not, it's not a death sentence. It's not life ending, but um, you know, it is a super con superficial condition with other related conditions that it is just genetic. So if you develop alopecia and it happens after a stressful event, you don't need to blame yourself for stressing out about it. You don't need to blame yourself for not handling the situation correctly. It's just the way things happen. <laughs> And I know that after you developed alopecia, um, you decided to run for Miss Connecticut USA and your story went viral and made international news. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it meant for you um, to represent people with alopecia everywhere? Yeah, so it was all so unexpected for me and thinking about all of the feedback and like all of the coverage I got makes me feel a lot of things. Um, on the more selfish end of things, I feel like some of my dreams are actually a step closer now. Um, those dreams being that I won't be the only person I know with alopecia competing successfully in a Miss USA or Miss Universe system. And that one day, hopefully someday soon, we'll have a whole army of beautiful, bald young ladies who now feel like they can step up on the stage and join me. So I'm hoping that I get to see a world where a gorgeous girl with alopecia competing in a beauty pageant does not cause an uproar because society has just accepted that some pretty amazing girls who just happen to have no hair or less hair sometimes are, you know, perfectly beautiful and perfectly okay. And it's nothing to fuss about. So like my dream actually is just to see where girls who look like me can do this kind of thing and they don't get the kind of coverage that I got because it's just like totally normalized and accepted. Um, but yeah, I mean, as for how I feel it impacted inclusive beauty standards and women as a whole in pageantry, um, I didn't win Miss Connecticut USA, but a very worthy woman did. And I think her being conventionally beautiful in no way undermines all of the good work she's done or how qualified she is because it's 2021 and we don't let women's appearances dictate their worth, regardless of how socially accepted their appearance might be. Um, but my patchy self did place as a finalist, and I hope in doing so, I have opened the door for other women who may have felt like they don't fit the mold to throw that mold away altogether and just show the world that they are undeniably beautiful, undeniably beautiful, and they get those crowns, and maybe even the one that I didn't get. <laughs> That's incredible, and I know that something you said actually um, really stuck out to me. You know, um, at camp, you said, "Ladies, beauty doesn't define you, but there's power in defining your own beauty." women can do anything and be anything. Us alopecians can do anything and be anything. The choice is yours. There is no one like you. And in that lies your beauty. Be boldly you and embrace what makes you different. And I just think that's just like such an amazing quote. And it's so representative of everything that you're doing and everything that you're doing for these inclusive beauty standards. Yeah, I oh, think it's, thank you. it's incredible, Renee. I mean, that is a mantra to live by for sure. And I think it's, you've, you've made a huge step forward in normalizing kind of inclusive beauty mm -hmm. standards and breaking, you know, a, a, an impossible mold yeah. that our girls especially are surrounded by right now on social media and in, you know, popular culture. Um, and so thank you for that. On behalf of girls everywhere, thank you. Oh. <laughs> and, and while you didn't win the Miss Connecticut USA role, you did, you were uh, the recipient of the Miss Connecticut USA Community Service Award for your work in founding your nonprofit, the Allo Peace Project. So can you tell us about that and your the inspiration and the mission of your work? 
Yeah, um, so I've always really loved doing community service and working with other nonprofits. Like the first nonprofit I ever volunteered regularly for was the Arc of Westchester, which supports people with developmental disabilities. And when I started the pageant process, I was really looking for a nonprofit to work with and support my platform, which was all about alopecia awareness and embracing the beauty in our differences. Um, something that I've mentioned before, I might've mentioned it at Camp Live Girl, but I've been in Facebook groups for alopecia, like in alopecia support for a while. And I just noticed that there's this universal yearning for positive visibility among um, individuals with alopecia, especially women. Um, and that yearning for positive visibility really resonated with me because it's something that I also sought out as well when I first lost my hair. So I think of course there is a place for looking at alopecia from a very medical perspective, and that's always going to be important, but I felt like there was also a need for a movement that would make the conversation around alopecia awareness more positive and uplifting. You know, just a space to talk and exist that feels warm and safe and to move away from the cold, somber, clinical feel of alopecia awareness discussions that exist currently. So I decided to start the movement myself by establishing the Alopecia Project. And I focused on answering the question of how we could change the way we speak about alopecia awareness to make it more humanizing, more empowering, and more uplifting. Um, the very first idea I had that started it all was to encourage positive visibility through group acts of community service, you know, kind of just combining like my love of community service with this condition that I had. And what it looked like to me was coming together as a local alopecia community, bonding and supporting each other by doing group volunteer activities together. Because companies do volunteer work for team building all the time. So I thought that that would just be a nice way for local alopecians to connect. And that if people like normal people saw us going around doing good work for the community, they would probably wonder, wow, why is this whole group of people bald? But not in a, ew, why are they bald kind of way, but in a, wow, who are these nice guys kind of way. And I thought that that would be a really positive way to facilitate alopecia awareness and just normalize this very common condition while creating a positive connotation for it in people's heads. And I also thought it's just much harder to make fun of a person and bully a person when they're actively striving to make your life better. Like if you're making fun of the appearance of a person who's volunteering for a food pantry or feeding the homeless every weekend, you're really only making a statement about the quality of your own character more than anything else. So I will definitely be incorporating that initial vision into the Alapeach project. But, um, you know, I still have to find a way to network and gather all these people. So. Um, the broader goal of the Alopecia Project will be to help alopecians love and appreciate their bodies and themselves through an online platform that I'm in the process of creating and will hopefully launch by the end of this summer. And I just want to inspire people to pursue their dreams and not let a superficial characteristic get in the way of seeing their potential as a human being. Like a lot of people experience a loss of identity after losing their hair. And I just want to remind my hair loss sisters and brothers and everyone else of who they are. Like just the beautiful, complex, multifaceted human being behind the hair or lack of hair. And something that I've said since the very beginning of all this is that I believe there is a cure for this disease, but it's not necessarily a medication or chemical. It is simply compassion. I love that. Renee, your story is so incredible. And it's a story of resilience and courage 
and determination. Um, and it's just incredible just hearing more about what you've been through and now how you are just applying all of your energy to helping others. And it just reminds me of the sentiment of, you know, one way not to feel helpless is to help. And that's absolutely what you are doing. And it's just, it's so darn inspiring to hear, you know, everything you're doing with the Alopecia Project. Yeah, it's oh, thank you. <laughs> and, you know, you do all this amazing work, but, you know, something that's more of a fun fact is that you are also a part-time horticulturist. Could you just share with us, like, what's your favorite plant or some fun? Yeah. Fact? So, okay. I guess I can answer both a fun fact and my favorite plant. Um, so right now I'm on a beach and I've just been thinking a lot about this tree. It's called a Pisonia tree. Um, it's known as the bird catcher tree or the tree that kills birds. And <laughs> that sounds a little, a little, um, a little dark, but what it does, it's actually really cool. And I think that it, it helps people look at plants in a way that's not like, oh, this is just like a stationary like object that doesn't do much. That's like pretty much akin to a rock. Like plants are just like these dynamic um, creatures really. And what this tree does, it lives in like salt water, fresh water kind of places, like mostly on islands. And what they do is that they have very, very sticky fruit. And when birds go to land in the tree or go to pick the fruit, the birds get stuck to the fruit. Um, they eventually die. Um, you know, the tree has this sticky fruit as an adaptation on purpose um, to kill birds so that the birds um, die, fall into the leaf litter, um, decay there, and provide nutrients for the tree. And <laughs> I mean, that, that might be a little bit grim for some people because, you know, birds are dying, but, you know, it's just an interesting little circle of life thing. And you usually think of animals hunting other animals, not so much um, plants hunting animals. And I just thought that that was a really, <laughs> really cool thing. Um, but as for my favorite plants, I have this house plant. It's called Serapegia um, woodsy, and it is the common name is String of Hearts. I have a variegated version, which means that it has like a little pink border, which is really, really cute. It's like this trailing plant, and all of the leaves are literally heart shaped. And it's just like a, such a delightful, like little succulent plant. It grows really fast. And I mean, it's just cool to have like a bunch of little heart strings hanging around your house. <laughs> Well, Renee, we, Olivia and I need you as our friend, because while we both uh, love and enjoy mm -hmm. plants, we're not good plant mamas. Yeah. And actually, oh. Olivia no. recently got a plant from a friend, her friend Ian, as a, as a pre present, and it's, I think it's already dead, Olivia. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> um, and I oh. understand have a fun Instagram called at Prickle Party, where for those folks who want to learn more about horticulture and your favorite plants that they can follow mm -hmm. that. So um, Renee, we, we have to bring this uh, podcast to a close. It's been such an honor to talk to you. You are a true queen and you've shown such exemplary courage and determination to reach the path you're on today. And, um, you know, we are honored to have interviewed you today. We also look forward to um, hearing you speak at our Day of the Girl rally in Stanford on October 9th. And um, we'll be adding a lot of program notes about the Alapeace Project and about um, sexual assault resources and um, more information about alopecia for our, our interested learners. But thank you, thank you, thank you, Renee, for your time today. 
Thank you guys so much. Um, I love everything you're doing and I can't wait to hear the podcast and see everything else you guys are up to. <laughs> All right, Renee, have a great day. Bye, thank you guys.